0: The Russian Federation has amassed upwards at this time of over 100,000 ground forces, air forces, naval forces, special forces, cyber, electronic warfare, command and control, logistics, engineers, and other capabilities along the Ukraine border. Ukraine is the second largest country in Europe with a population of 44 million.
1: From the Defense and Aerospace Report, this is the Downlink, a podcast about the intersection of space, the space business, and defense. Not just what's over the horizon, but what's happening above it. I'm your host, Laura Winter. Hi there, listeners. That was U.S. Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Army General Mark Milley, on Friday. He was detailing the types of military specializations Russia has amassed along Ukraine's eastern borders. If you are unfamiliar with the neighborhood, Russia has placed troops and hardware along three sides of what looks like a horizontally oriented rectangle. The specializations and how Russia's military integrates them into their possible invasion force matter. Right from the strategic. Down to the tactical level. This episode is looking at Russian electronic warfare, or EW. The United States, and by extension NATO's way of war, is heavily reliant on intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance data, or ISR, to make informed decisions. And once those decisions are made, They need to be coordinated and communicated up and down the chain of command and also across great distances at speed through publicly and privately owned and operated satellites. The satellites almost exclusively use electromagnetic spectrum radio signals along varying bandwidths to receive, transmit, or transport what's hoped to be accurate data from a sensor or a warfighter right up to the decision makers and back and everywhere in between. A great non-kinetic way to disrupt or subvert this observe, orient, decide, act cycle, called the OODA loop, is to use electronic warfare. It's not like the U.S. and other militaries don't use EW. They do, which is why there is so much consternation over a Department of Defense report released Thursday. The DOD Office of Operational Test and Evaluation reported that even after some two decades of development and repeated delays— jam-resistant radios and receivers meant to access encrypted GPS signals remain well over the horizon and over budget. So the place electronic warfare occupies in Russian military thought and in its force structure is special. And a number of leading Russian military analysts think this fact has been underreported, undervalued, and misunderstood. So I reached out to Michael Kaufman, He's a leading Russian military researcher, analyst, and thought leader at the Center for Naval Analyses, and he regularly produces articles on Russia for War on the Rocks. Here's our discussion. Hi, Mike. Thank you for making the time to join me on the Downlink.
0: Thanks for having me on your program.
1: You know, the Downlink audience is generally made up of space, business, and defense practitioners, and they are Pretty familiar with many of the thought leaders in this sector, but you are a Russian military expert and thought leader. Please take a moment and introduce yourself and what it is that you research and why.
0: Uh, I direct the Russian Studies program at CNA, the Center for Naval Analysis. I have a couple of other affiliations around town, which is not unusual, places like CNAS, Kennan State Wilson Center. Uh, at CNA, I study Russian military strategy, operations, operational concepts and capabilities, and of course, uh, along with broader Russian military history and foreign policy. At CNA, the Russian studies program is a fairly sizable program of around uh, 10 analysts focusing on, diff- focusing on different aspects of Russian military, Russian foreign policy, with a lot of expertise ranging on issues from autonomy, AI, Space capabilities, uh, historical conflicts, and the like.
1: One of the reasons that I reached out to you was because I wanted to give the audience an understanding of Russian capabilities and, in some cases, the lack thereof in stymieing space based capabilities, especially as they relate to the Western concept of communication, command, control, and computers coupled with intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance, or as we like to call it, C4ISR, not just for the Ukrainian and Western militaries, but also for national and local civil authorities. But I'm not really sure that that's the right starting point and that perhaps the best place to start is to understand the Russian concept of active defense and whether that concept is also applicable to what we are now seeing unfold on the ground in Ukraine, albeit from afar and perhaps on a very grand scale. Can you take a moment and explain the active defense concept and answer whether this is actually applicable to the Ukraine-Russia crisis or impasse?
0: Sure. So active defense is uh, its a bit less a concept that's really more the name of for Russian military strategy. And Russian military strategy is centrally organizing uh, for the Russian general staff because it speaks to uh, first management decisions on preparedness and organization of forces, preparation of joint strategic operations and who does what in joint strategic operations. It is an organizing concept that speaks to the force structure, you know, whether this force should it be high readiness, forward deployed, partly mobilization-based, size of reserves, and the like. And it lays out the general uh, theory and tenets for the modern conduct of war and how to effectively manage forces in wartime. Plus, the other part, which we may or may not get into, is, is it also uh, has a good cutout in it for various deterrence and escalation management concepts, the things that are, the Russian military is supposed to do during a threatened period of conflict to deter potential uh, adversaries. And then, you know, beyond the initial period of war, what are the steps of Russian military should do to try to attain, you know, escalation management or what you might call interwar deterrence. So this is very broad. Uh, I think the part of it that's interesting, perhaps maybe more more relevant to our specific conversation are the subordinate operational concepts that flow from it, right? And and there are implications for airspace attack, airspace defense, for uh, how ground forces intend to fight um, and for various uh, other capabilities, whether it's electronic warfare, space, counter space systems, uh, offensive cyber capabilities and the like, because it is a concept that seeks to integrate this, just like our concept seek to integrate things that are in the sort of more uh, physical domains with those in global domains or, or electronic information.
1: You know, you and a number of your colleagues who decode Russia's post-Soviet military philosophy or doctrine in military parlance, you know, you've said Russia's modern approach to securing political military objectives depends on gaining the advantage in what they call the information domain, which is a domain that we don't really have in our concepts here in the United States per se. Now, this includes satellite communications and electronic warfare you know, the whole C4ISR stack for sure, but this concept is much bigger and deeper. It encapsulates planning and operational concepts and the actual force structure. What is advantage? What are the goals? And what is the nature of that force to achieve that advantage? You know, forms of non-kinetic and or asymmetric attack, you know, affecting the adversary's ability or will to sustain the struggle. And what is that? Help us wrap our mind around it?
0: Sure. All right. So there's a couple of ways to to think about this, and I'll try to pull the sort of thread from the best starting point that I can find. But I think it's it's better to first explain that, you know, Russian military does have a a pretty good delineation of things based on uh, that which is tactical, tactical, operational, operational, strategic, and strategic, right? And has a pretty good separation and usually in conversation or discourse between uh, military and non-military means. Now, this, of course, is, is uh, not an easy separation because in Russian military thought, usually information domain integrates more holistically a set of capabilities that we might intellectually scatter into other places. So it will involve sort of more traditional classical information warfare, uh, electronic warfare and technical electronic warfare means that are primarily in the hands of the military, uh, cyber capabilities and the like, right? And often put them together a, a, in sort of one holistic approach to information operations. Um, let me start with some uh, broad uh, definitions. So in the information space, in the categories that are kind of separated within non-military means, right? Not, not exclusively, but but generally. Typically, Russian military splits us into information psychological and information technical approach, right? Now, information psychological approaches tend to focus on the population as their target rather than the leadership. They tend to use means of uh, that affect mass media. We're kind of familiar with them. They range from very low-end things like troll farms, bots, and the like, to more sophisticated uh, uh, approaches. And, and in some ways, um, some things that are known historically about active measures would fall more into this category, right? They basically tried to boil the ocean of public opinion or to mobilize protest potential population. To me, at least personally, the more interesting approaches are in all information technical bracket. These are ways of using technical approaches, whether electronic warfare means, cyber capabilities, and the like, of shaping the decisions of uh, military or political leaders, decision makers, right? And often uh, based around the insertion of, of certain types of information to shape their decision making. Those who have heard of the term reflexive control, that falls much more into this category. There's the insertion of special, inform- specifically um, designed information in order to elicit specific actions from an opponent. Uh, what's going on on the technical side is, is pretty sophisticated. And here you'll see a kind of um, even further separation between uh, different echelons on the battlefield, right? So you obviously have kind of tactical electronic warfare means and you have more operational strategic systems. uh, And this gets us further down to this wonderful rabbit hole of various Russian concepts that are aimed at attaining disorganization of an opponent's effort, right? So kind of in the core of Russian military thought, when we get back to this active defense strategy. There's a general sense of the United States is a technologically superior opponent, that's qualitative and quantitative superiority, especially when you put together the United States with a NATO coalition, right? So, actually, Russia needs a set of approaches to allow itself to neutralize the U.S. advantages, right, and have a chance at winning a regional large-scale war, right? These can break down into a way of fighting that would... Prevent the United States from achieving a decisive outcome in the initial period of war, let's say the first two weeks. Inflict substantial amount of attrition such that it's clear to the U.S. or any coalition that they would not be able to win the conflict easily or cheaply and that actually there would be significant cost on attrition. Um, and things that really get beyond the battlefield and focus on either the ability of the military to sustain the campaign effectively or the political leadership's will, right, to, to, to continue the military effort. And, and so the disorganization part of it is seen as one way to one competitive approach to neutralize US advantages because US way of fighting is seen as being very heavily information driven and oriented around in, integration of information and the, the uh, ability of command and control and ISR systems to really bring that warfighting effort together. In fact, if anything, a lot of US military concepts want even heavier integration. Greater simultaneity, uh, essentially attain, attain superiority and ability to conduct simultaneous operations and, and having awareness of the battlefield. So the Russian military gives all that. And one of the ways they intend to uh, fight back competitively is to disorganize the warfighting effort of a technologically superior adversary. Right, And here comes the integration of traditional conventional capabilities, kinetic capabilities, with what they call electronic fire operation, and a slightly higher echelon level and in information operations. So maybe electronic fire is more of a tact tac operational level concept versus information operations a little higher, more towards the strategic end of the, of the spectrum. But uh, nonetheless, both are relevant. And, and the point of that is to uh, disaggregate command and control uh, to uh, slow down basically the ability of the opponent to exchange information between key systems. To separate them from each other uh, to the extent possible, it is much more command and control focused than as ISR focused, from what I can tell in, in the writing and thinking about it. Although there's definitely a lot of Russian thinking of how to affect um, US ISR systems as well. I hope this part of it makes sense. And then pair that with traditional sort of classical fires, right? Land based, sea based, air based uh, fires and, at the tactical level and long range standoff precision guided weapons at the more operational levels
1: just to illustrate this even further into what i see is you know instigating managed chaos and the disaggregation of you know command control and communication russia has organized its military right down to the tactical level to effectively make use of its electronic warfare capabilities i mean my understanding is that russia has fully integrated electronic warfare companies into its brigades i know this is you know Kind of really using a microscope, but it kind of shows the thread from top to bottom that this is the point. Am I right in that thinking?
0: Yeah. Let me speak to that a bit. So, you know, Russian electronic warfare capabilities have gotten a lot of attention in recent years. I, I think they have a tremendous amount of kids spread across the military, different levels, and of course, very varying capability. I think in some cases, what what these systems can do individually might be heavily overrated. A lot of systems that had that been looked at that filled out formations were kind of upgraded 90s and late 80s designs. And since then they've they've brought online some much more advanced electronic warfare capabilities that really fuse everything previous systems used to do and, and go well above and beyond that. But the question you ask is an essential one, which is really the the Russian military's choice to build out uh electronic warfare formations and a force structure within the military, you know, starting with creation of electronic warfare troops within the general staff, right, then having electronic warfare brigades across military districts and electronic warfare centers within the the main fleets on the Navy side, having independent electronic warfare battalions, having electronic warfare aviation detachments within the Air Force, and yes, having electronic warfare companies and platoons within the standard force structure first brigades and then regiments within divisions. Why is that to me very important? Because I always believe you can say whatever you want about capability and what you want to do and how you plan to fight, but force structure is a much better indicator of a military and what it really intends to do. I always say, show me your force structure and I'll tell you who you are, right? So any military can create, you know, one electronic warfare brigade somewhere with with some advanced electronic warfare capability. That is not the same thing as what the Russian military has done because in the Russian military, every battalion commander, brigade or regimental commander has electronic warfare capabilities units within their force structure that they see and touch on a daily basis. They have them in exercises. They know what they can do. The combined arms army commanders know what the electronic warfare brigades are, and they have supporting electronic warfare battalions, right? Otherwise, what you will often get is if you have a military, you have a dedicated kind of boutique electronic warfare capability within it. Well, that's great. But, but to, to a lot of folks in that actual military, when it comes to to, to an operation that's like, a, you know, voodoo magic. They, they don't know. They haven't practiced. They haven't exercised with this capability. Commanders don't know what it can do for them, right? They, they, they're they kind of loosely aware of it, but they've not really interacted with it or trained with it. There's a separate brigade that lives somewhere with advanced kit and, you know, doesn't get trotted out very often. And that's kind of the big difference between having a force structure where you've really proliferated this capability across it. And then you can modernize, right? You can buy new systems. Put them into these companies and platoons. Now that you have them, and 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 so, a tactical operational and strategic level, Russia's really bought into what electronic warfare does for the military. I'm happy to talk a bit more about that, but just to you know, uh, you know, uh, footstomp that point.
1: That's perfect, because as we go through this conversation, I want to now focus uh, more on the information domain and information confrontation in space um, and how it relates to the Russian way of electronic warfare. You know, we've seen some of what you describe already. Uh, for instance, in August of 2017, during Russia's ZAPID exercises, pilots in Norway couldn't geolocate using the GPS because Russia was reportedly jamming those electromagnetic signals. And then there's the Krashuka 4 jamming system, which is thought to have been deployed to Syria. US special forces have credited that system with jamming communications and sensors. And the LEAR system recently made an appearance in Kazakhstan. And then there's the OSCE's experience in eastern Ukraine with Russia's Tirada-2 system. In which iteration is it? Tirada-2S, Tirada-2.2, Tirada-2.4? But many in my audience understand that space-based assets rely on electromagnetic signals for them to be effective. So what I'd like to know is, you know, what are Russia's electronic warfare capabilities in relation to space-based assets? How can Russia thwart the use of space-based assets? I've heard of a counter-space EW system named Rudolph. I mean, is that even real?
0: Well, of course, here I'm going to speak very generally because there's a lot of things that Russian military claims that its electronic warfare capabilities can do. But when it gets to things that are technically specific, these are obviously usually the domain of things that, you know, the, the more precise knowledge just tends to be in the domain of classified information, certainly uh, in the United States. But as far as I know what I can tell from both its use in a range of conflict scenarios and from probably more kind of say more of a realistic interpretation of what they're able to do. The, the jamming to me is actually uh the easiest part or the or or the simplest part of what russian electronic warfare units really do now supposedly they block everything radio vhf uhf gsm gps which is pretty easy to to jam it's probably one of the easiest things to jam on the battlefield they can do the pretty pretty extended ranges and essentially you know they can then potentially push an opponent onto other means of communication, right? Other means that they're using for command and control or to transmit information from ISR assets, and then find uh, ways of interfering with that information once they once they begin confining the opponent's available systems or you know the bandwidth throughput that they have, right? So, yes, the jam communications, uh, yes, they do affect satellite communication supposedly they can suppress certain other types of systems. I don't know to what extent that's true, things like AWACS and the like. But let me talk about two things that don't get brought up as often that I think are just as interesting when when we look at electronic warfare. So the first is electronic support function. This is one of the principal things that Russian electronic warfare units do is actually solve the principal problem of the Russian military, which is finding and fixing its targets. It is a very firepower-heavy force, and it's increasingly gotten much better at being precise. But finding and fixing targets on a battlefield, whether on the ground, in the air, or or at sea, is still a significant challenge, right? And so these systems really focus on spotting uh, enemy units that emit, that are cooperative targets, right? The United States in particular likes to emit a lot. We're pretty heavy in the electromagnetic spectrum. As, as a force, uh, I'd say compared to others, probably compared to most. And uh, whether it's spotting, you know, enemy radars, enemy transmission systems, counter-battery radars, um, and bullets seeing it land, right? This to me is a very important function because Russia has invested in the precision strike abilities, the tactical and operational levels. Like they have the sticks where they've always historically struggled is they have a pretty weak layer of ISR and they have a very weak space-based layer for remote sensing, right? That architecture is is much weaker than ours in some ways even China's, okay? And so electronic warfare capabilities can allow them to compensate for that to an extent at tactical and operational levels. And they can put them on drones and other things as the show can go on the road. They have electronic warfare systems like Lear 3. We have drones that serve as comlinks for other electronic warfare drones and the like. They can chain it. Uh, The other part of it, is transmitting specific information, which is not jamming, but let's say more interesting things like spoofing, because this is essentially deceiving uh global positioning systems, but let's go beyond that using electronic warfare means to insert information into an opponent's system whose purpose is maybe to deceive them, to you know, to commit to an action that that the Russian military might like, or more insidiously to make them question the integrity of the data right? And here's where the game gets afoot. If you jam somebody's system, they realize they've been jammed, they're going to switch to something else, right? Something else they you might not be able to jam. But if you compromise an opponent's systems in ways that fundamentally make them question the integrity of the system and what they're seeing in terms of data, then they begin to wonder if they can trust anything that they're looking at on their end. Now you have really complicated this organized effort because once people start to lose faith that what they're seeing in whatever system they have for situational awareness, is, is the real deal, right? They begin to wonder about some of their other systems and their perception of the battlefield and what's going on in it.
1: Thank you so much for, for for hitting the spoofing point because U.S. and West depend on satellite-derived ISR data and the confidence in that data, the accuracy is key to U.S. and Western decision-making. So now that we know that Russia you know, does have tools to, to confront that, I'm wondering, I mean, does Russia have any on-orbit electronic warfare capabilities? And and if so, what are they?
0: I personally know regarding you know core electronic warfare capabilities. Russia has um, a space-based sensing layer, it has Elon satellites, even has just recently, increasingly, um satellites for for targeting uh in a maritime domain and slowly really started rebuilding. Uh, space-based layer of infrastructure, because they were missing everything from a full-based uh, strategic early warning satellite detection system to a lot of other uh, capabilities that the Soviet Union had, but that generation of satellites became either obsolete or uh, or expired. So uh, regarding corb electronic Warfare System, I'll be perfectly honest, I don't know. I know an awful lot about the, the actual land-based layer, and Russia has invested in a panoply of, of uh, anti-satellite systems, some based on electronic warfare, a number or directed energy, and some of course are kinetic direct descent. And everybody knows those because not long ago, they tested in a very high profile, a direct descent, uh kinetic system. But uh, less spoken of are some of the more direct, direct uh, directed energy you know, systems that they've deployed, particularly with the strategic rocket forces, but increasingly, with other parts of the force as well, and this is sort of like dazzling systems and things that could potentially burn out satellite optics and the like. But yeah, I mean that's as far that's as far as I could I could get can get into that conversation.
1: But it, in your opinion, you know, how worrisome are these electronic warfare tools, um, especially uh, to space-based assets? Um, And how worrisome are the units that use them? I really do want to avoid, you know, an unwarranted threat inflation. Um, But to refocus on Ukraine, my understanding is that the Russian military and the makers of these electronic warfare systems have been using Eastern Ukraine as a testbed for these technologies, as well as to basically exercise their knowledge of how to integrate them better onto the battlefield. How is that going? Is that true?
0: some extent, it's hard to judge, but I I think from the Russian point of view, they're deploying an effective set of capabilities to potentially deny or at least degrade U.S. ability to use uh, space for ISR and for command and control, which would be essential for the United States. Uh, How effective all this is versus U.S. redundancy and space-based layer of ISR? Don't know, to be perfectly honest.
1: With all these technologies uh, being fielded, being tested, and and we've seen this in various uh, countries, in various scenarios, how is it that the Russians are able to operate under these conditions? They're not actually unaffected, are they?
0: No, they're affected, but they're affected a lot less than, than us. They're far less dependent on it. They have redundant systems, and they sort of expect to be operating in a self jammed environment. And so, in an environment that's mutually denied, they feel substantially advantaged by it, right? Yes, they are affected naturally. But they, they finally train to operate in that environment and actually develop specific systems to be able to deconflict certain capabilities like integrated air defense and electronic warfare. Obviously, the two present challenges for each other. So, in a generally, particularly in a battlefield, where they can choose the context of setting, and they have alternatives like fiber optic, uh, uh, ground-based uh, communications, to pre-wired, and the like, they have they have options. They have a host of options that we might not. And even if they didn't, they still feel that denying an expeditionary airspace power all these advantages, even if they're denied to Russia as well, would would be much more beneficial to them. That is, operating in a deny environment which definitely serves Russian militaries. Uh, warfighting style much more than it does ours.
1: Mike, thank you so much for your time.
0: Absolutely. Thanks for having me on your program.
1: That's it for this week. Check back with the Defense and Aerospace Report for the latest defense news and insights brought to you by Vago Moradian, who is the editor for all of the Def Aero Report podcasts. And be sure to check out CAVA Ships, which is our weekly podcast about the maritime domain. You can subscribe to the downlink on iTunes, iHeart, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Play. I'm Laura Winter, and thank you for listening.